listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host is Michelle Jewell Shaw, photographer, mom, and award-winning volunteer of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jeremy, and hello to all of you. Thank you for having me today. We are going to have two guests on this episode of Lighthearted, which is episode number 53. First, we're going to return to a lighthouse we first visited in episode 39, Thomas Point Shoal in Maryland. We'll be talking with Bob Stevenson, the docent training coordinator for the lighthouse. Then we're going to talk with someone who's been very involved in developing educational resources for the U.S. Lighthouse Society for years, Gary Riemenschneider. Michelle, please help me tell our listeners about Thomas Point Show Lighthouse and Bob Stevenson. Sure, Jeremy. Thomas Point Show Lighthouse is the last screw pile cottage style light station in its original location in Chesapeake Bay. It's located about a mile and a half offshore from the nearest point of land in Annapolis, Maryland. The city of Annapolis owns the lighthouse, and the Chesapeake chapter of the U.S. Lighthouse Society manages it. The Annapolis Maritime Museum serves as the departure point for boat tours to the lighthouse. In December, in episode 39 of Lighthearted, we featured an interview with John Potvin, the preservation foreman for Thomas Point Shoal. Today we're going to listen to an interview with Bob Stevenson. Bob is one of the key coordinators of the public tour program at the Lighthouse. Bob is also the docent training coordinator and has been with the preservation program at Thomas Point Shoal since the very beginning, scraping away loose paint and keeping the red roofs clear of white bird guano, among many other tasks. Bob is also an avid sailor who lives within sight of the Lighthouse. I had a chance to speak on the phone with Bob Stevenson in early January. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am on the phone with Bob Stevenson, a volunteer for Thomas Point Shoal Lighthouse. I really appreciate you being with me today, Bob. And uh, let me start by saying I hope the weather's a little better for you down in Maryland than it is on the New Hampshire seacoast today. It's a dark, dismal, rainy day here. How is it down in Maryland today? Well, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, Jeremy, but it's so foggy I can't see the lighthouse. (laughs) I'm so foggy I can barely see a half a mile away if that. Well, I guess uh, much of the East Coast is a a little bit under the weather today. But anyway, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. And let me say Happy New Year. We're just a little bit into January here. So Happy New Year, Bob. And back at you, too. Let me start by asking you kind of a a broad uh, two-part question here. Uh, You've been working for as a volunteer for Thomas Point Shoal Lighthouse for quite a while now. What is so special about Thomas Point Shoal Lighthouse? And what led you to get involved with it personally? Well... Thomas Point Shoal is uh, very different uh, in that uh, of the 60 or 70 cottage-style screw-pile lighthouses uh, around the Bay Area originally, um, it's uh, quite unique in its design in that it has six dormers in the roof. Most of the rest had only two or perhaps four. Um, And those six dormers, red roof and white walls, make it very photogenic, and it's probably the most photographed thing on the bay. Historically, um, it is the last of more than 100 built in this country of these cottage-style screw-pile lighthouses that's still in service. All the rest have either been removed, destroyed, 
uh, or several have been placed on shore. There's one other sitting out in Mobile Bay that's still there. It was about to fall into the bay, and the Alabama people managed to uh, rescue it. But it's not been in service as a lighthouse for quite a long time. And so how did I get started? Well, we're sailors here. And like a lot of sailors in this area, uh, I've sailed to and around that lighthouse many, many times. Um, We're fortunate that it's uh, three miles from our house. We can see it on a clear day. Not today, but we can see it on a clear day. And um, back in 2005, uh, there was a note in the newspaper saying, hey, we're looking for some volunteers. I I went to the recruiting meeting in 2005, volunteered for the interpretive tours, and then uh, shortly thereafter got also involved in doing some preservation work. So I've been going at it now ever since then. So obviously Thomas Point Shoal is a very unique lighthouse, being a screw pile lighthouse, as you described. And uh, one of the other unique things about it is that uh, as an offshore lighthouse, you actually have public tours there, which is a a great thing. Uh, Can you describe the tours and tell us a little bit about what people can expect when they sign up for a tour? What, What exactly happens on these tours? Well, yes, you are right. Uh, Our tour is very different from other tours of offshore lighthouses here in this area. Uh, Lots and lots of boats, some private boats and public boats, tour boats and so forth, go out around various lighthouses, including Thomas Point Shoal, and they often have an interpreter narrating the history. But our tour takes people inside. It is the only opportunity for the public to get inside and see the lighthouse Uh, as it really is, as it's been restored, uh, largely restored to its appearance in roughly 1901 with uh, a room restored to resemble the Coast Guard's uh, room uh, in the mid-'80s when they were getting ready to unman the lighthouse. Um, So we go out, um, we take about a half-hour boat ride from Annapolis, and then we get aboard Uh, We can take up to 18 people and four docents. And when we're aboard, the docents point out things that uh, a visitor might not notice. Um, They tell the stories of life aboard the lighthouse from 1875 through the Coast Guard era, which ended in 1986. And they point out and demonstrate uh, the preservation work done uh, right on up to the present day. And after about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, uh, we get back in the boat and head on back to Annapolis. So this is a very different experience than most folks would get when they visit a land-based lighthouse and are able to go inside and look and enjoy the displays and so forth because uh, we have more personal one-to-one uh, storytelling that we can give. You know, I haven't uh, yet done that, and I'm really hoping to do it. Maybe in in 2020, I'm really hoping to to get down there to do that. Uh, so, uh, can you tell us what kind of uh, tour schedule will will there be this year in 2020? And also, how do people reserve space on one of those tours? Uh, our tours in 2020 will be um, similar to previous years. Uh, they're on two or three Saturdays a month beginning in June and running to October. A tour starts at 9 a.m., and a second tour starts at noon. The dates for the 2020 tour uh, are on the U.S. Lighthouse Society's website, which is where one goes also to purchase tickets. It's online ticketing service available there. 
You are also actually the training coordinator for the docents who are involved with these tours. What what kind of people do you get uh, involved uh, as docents for the tours? Oh, we have an incredible group of people. Just for background purposes, uh, each of our tours actually requires six people for it. Uh, that's two people stay on shore and four people go out to the lighthouse. And each of those six folks has a specific role to fulfill. And we are blessed to have a good group of volunteers as young as high school students and all the way up to grandparents. In addition to the tours, you've also been very involved in the preservation program at the Lighthouse. What led you to get involved in that area as well? I think you've been involved right from the start uh, when that that program developed. Almost from the start of the preservation work, uh, we didn't have any tours when I uh, initially volunteered because Tropical Storm Isabel had severely damaged our onshore facilities. So in 2006, when the first building was repaired, we had a small interpretive display, and I was one of several who staffed that display on weekends. Um, By the end of that year, um, I found myself going out to help with preservation work, too. And it's kind of fun because I, I learned more about the lighthouse by working on it than I would had expected. Um, and I learned things I didn't expect to learn about the requirements in the Historic Lighthouse Preservation Handbook. Uh, not everybody realizes that these historic structures you can't just do anything you want to them if you're going to be preserving them for public access. Uh, you have to meet some pretty rigid standards. And is there always uh, a need for new volunteers to get involved with that area, with the preservation area at the Lighthouse? Yes, we do need new people uh, pretty much all of the time. And we have two different avenues for volunteering, one for the tours and one for the preservation work. So let me give you contact for both of those. Uh, Both of them are most easily done uh, on the internet. So to uh, learn about the tour program and becoming a volunteer and getting trained and so forth, uh, an email sent to an address I'm about to give you um, will net that contact and we'll get back to any interested folks. That email address is tpsl at verizon.net. That's T is in Thomas, P is in Point, S is in Shoal, L as in Lighthouse, at Verizon.net. Anybody who sends an email to TPSL at Verizon.net, we will respond and we'll see what we can do to get you involved. The um, preservation work uh, is different. Um, that's handled through the uh, Chesapeake chapter of the U.S. Lighthouse Society. And we get volunteers with all levels of skill from professional levels to practically nothing like me. Um, If you've uh, ever painted something, cleaned something, repaired something, driven a nail, screwed a screw, uh, you're probably ready to go to work on the lighthouse. They'll teach you everything you need to know. And the best way to do that is to go to the Chesapeake Chapters website. And that website is cheslights.org. That's Ches, C-H-E-S, L-I-G-H-T-S dot org. And when you've gotten to the Chesapeake Chapters website, click on the preservation link to get more uh, information about our preservation work and to volunteer.
You kind of answered what I was about to ask you. It sounds like if people want to get involved with the preservation aspect at Thomas Point Shoal, it doesn't necessarily uh, require them to have a lot of experience as carpenters or any sort of skills along those lines. So even somebody like me who has no aptitude whatsoever uh, in that kind of thing, even somebody like me could maybe uh, get involved there. Is that is that correct? Uh, well, we're much alike in that respect, Jeremy. Uh, yes, that is correct. If you have the will and the time and even just a modicum of uh, experience, the, I would say the average adult is clearly qualified to be a, a helper in this work. And if they are more skilled in some of the trades, you know, um, carpentry and, and so forth, that so much the better. In fact, although this nasty work is done, we had to train several of us to become certified as lead paint abatement people. Uh-huh. Uh, so we we were trained, we did the work, and that's all done. So you don't have to worry about getting tapped for that. Um, but other work, absolutely. If we could uh, shift gears a little bit and, and talk a little bit more about uh, the history of the lighthouse. You, you spoke earlier about it being a screw pile lighthouse and, and the only active screw pile lighthouse still still standing in the United States. And uh, I'm just wondering if you might want to comment a little bit uh, more on what you think are some of the, the other interesting aspects of its history. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, first, one small clarification. It is the last cottage-style screw pile lighthouse right. still active. Good point, good there, point. <laughs> there are some other ones, skeletal towers and so forth down in Florida at least right. that are still active, but we are the last of our kind. Right, good um, point. And so setting aside the, the lighthouse itself and all of the furnishings and artifacts that are inside, which are fascinating, uh, I am personally fascinated by the keepers' lives uh, from the beginning right up to the ending when it was on. Uh, unmanned and automated in 1986. Now, we do have copies of letters and logs uh, that tell fascinating stories of danger, boredom, questionable mental fitness, and more. And so reading those and talking about them with people, it's uh, just a delight to do that. And every year, we seem to meet people who come to our tours who have personal connections with the lighthouse. Uh, former Coast Guard keepers, uh, one gentleman came as a visitor on the tour and talked about uh, walking across the ice with his father and grandfather to visit the keepers who were stationed there. Now, this goes back to the 20s or 30s. Uh, and then this gentleman showed up to visit the lighthouse himself. This is one of many of the personal stories we continue to learn, and they're just fascinating. Let me ask you uh, one one more question for bonus points here. Uh, what is your personal favorite thing about the work you do at Thomas Point Shoal Lighthouse? Well, this is uh, a very personal thing, and I'm glad to share it with you. It's only it's one of only twelve lighthouses in this country that are national historic landmarks. So the privilege and responsibility of re- preserving and interpreting that lighthouse for our visitors is just deeply rewarding. For me, the most personal thing really is just being there. When I can take a moment to let the history sink in, to experience some of the isolation the keepers live through, 
and to enjoy the best view on the bay, then I really know just how deeply privileged I am. That really sums it up beautifully. Thank you so much, Bob Stevenson, and thank you for the work you do at Thomas Point Shoal Lighthouse. Thanks for spending time with me today, and I hope to uh, see you down there for a tour uh, sometime coming up. Thanks, Bob. I look forward to it. Thanks, Jeremy. If you'd like to learn more about the efforts to preserve Thomas Point Shoal Lighthouse, go to the U.S. Lighthouse Society website at uslhs.org. Click on About at the menu at the top, then click on Thomas Point Shoal Lighthouse. You can find out all the history, preservation, and tours at the lighthouse. Now we're going to shift gears and talk about some of the really helpful, interesting educational material that's been developed on the U.S. Lighthouse Society website. Specifically, we're going to concentrate on the United States light list data that's been added by Gary Riemenschneider. A light list is a detailed list of navigational aids, including lighthouses and other lighted navigation aids. Light lists are published by most of the major maritime nations. Light lists are important for anyone researching lighthouses in their history, as well as anyone curious about the changes to our coastline since lighthouses were first established. Today, the United States Coast Guard Light List is published annually in seven volumes. It covers the entire coastline of the United States and its possessions. For anyone who has used actual published light lists for research, you know how tedious it can be. Gary Riemenschneider has added the light list data to the U.S. Lighthouse Society website, and it's available for researchers. It's also integrated with the J. Candace Clifford Research Catalog on the site. Back in November, I was at the Gross Point Lighthouse in Illinois for a meeting, and Gary and I spoke about the lightless data on the USLHS website and other subjects. With us was Jeff Gales, Executive Director of the U.S. Lighthouse Society, and he took part in the conversation with Gary. Let's listen to that conversation now. We are here at the Gross Point Light Station, and with me is Gary Riemenschneider, who has developed some extremely useful material on the U.S. Lighthouse Society website. And we're going to talk mainly about the lighthouse... Light list. Light <laughs> the, list. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about the light list uh, material that, that Gary has developed, historical light list resources, and also the lighthouse enthusiast community as well. Uh, but Gary's developed some other things. And also with us is Jeff Gales, uh, Executive Director of the U.S. Lighthouse Society, who's going to join in the conversation as well. So Gary, maybe we could start by talking a little bit about when this all started, how you came to be involved with the U.S. Lighthouse Society. So let's, let's, let's start there. All right. Um, it started in 2005. I was, went on a, uh, the U.S. Lighthouse Society tour in Maine. Well, I met Jeff and kind of showed him some stuff that I've been doing. And about three years later, I did some research on the Pacific Light Lists. And kind of, that was the first thing that came on the uh, U.S. Lighthouse Society's website. Oh, hold on, Gary. You're skipping a big part. You got to tell them the story about uh, visiting the Maine Lighthouse Museum. Oh, okay. All right. That, that, that was actually, yeah, that was actually when it clicked in my mind what I wanted to do. The uh, Maine Lighthouse Museum has a, a map, a huge map on their floor. Right. Just huge. Yep. And on that map, they showed the, the, the characteristics like you see on a nautical map. So we the lighthouse, and you can see how far the, uh, the light goes out 
from each lighthouse. And I said, right. well, you know what? I think I could do that on a computer. Yeah. You know, the fir- my first attempt were just like creating web pages. And I bought some 2004 light lists. And I just extracted all the stuff from Canada and the United States. And I basically just developed web pages for those. And that's what initially went up there. Right. And uh, if you've ever seen a light list, uh, you know, they start out, you know, when the lighthouse service first began, which are very, very thin. But by the 2004 light list, they're very thick because there's a lot of lighthouses in there. And when Gary uh, very nonchalantly uh, Hmm. says he inputted that data, it requires transposing every single word of every entry of the light list, which which is a huge task. Yes, it, it, it is a very detailed uh, process using like, you know, I'm using my PC and database creation, and all that stuff, and porting all the stuff over. So it is a little technical, I guess. But uh, yeah. um, basically what I did is I extracted all the, all the information there was about the lighthouse in the list. And that usually was obviously the characteristic of the light. And that was what I was initially interested in. And then I started extracting the structure, uh, the optics, the yeah. fog signal information. Yeah. The height. Well, height, height, and focal plane, obviously. Yeah, and there's other stuff that was kind of included in there, like uh, radio beacons and that type of stuff. So all that stuff is is on the web page in one of their different forms. Yeah, and since then you've gone back and collected historical light lists oh. Oh, okay. from various years. Okay, right? I guess or- I skipped that. <laughs> skipped that part. Obviously, when I first did the uh, Pacific, the U.S. Lighthouse Society has a, you know obviously an incredible collection of light lists. Right. They let me look at them, and basically starting from like 1839, I stopped at 2004. Um, just thinking, well, stuff's really not obviously still changing, but I really don't want to do anything you know after 2004. So. Basically, I would say maybe a third of those years were researched. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, it's hard to find all the light lists. Right. So most years from 1839 to 2004 are represented in this, in this, yes. uh, this yes. resource? Um, yeah. Uh, the light lists were like different from different coasts. Obviously, the initial ones had all the lights for, um, you know, probably, I don't know, through maybe 1890, maybe a little bit later. Then they started becoming regionalized, so you'd have stuff, maybe the Great Lakes, and then Pacific, and maybe the Gulf Coast and the Atlantic Coast. Yeah. And, you know, you could put them all, all together and, uh, you know, create one big list, or you can... There's there's a lot of different ways of looking at uh, the information on the website. I think that, you know, for maybe for your listeners, Jeremy, uh, maybe you could explain what light lists are and how they were used. Well, yeah, as uh, Gary was saying, a, a light list, first of all, includes a lot of basic information for each each light in the United States. There were different regional light lists. There was a light list for the for the east coast, for the for the west coast, for the for the Great Lakes, for different different uh, sections of the country. And each each for each entry for each light, it included the height of the tower, the focal plane, uh, the distance of the light above mean high water. The uh, the characteristic of the light, meaning the 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 color of the light, the the flash if it had one, the distinct flash or, or pattern of right, that light, right, right. and uh, what am I what am I not not mentioning? Well, uh, the fog signal, the fog if signal, there was right. a fog signal, the the characteristic of the fog signal, the bell or horn, 
the the right. blasts or, or uh, blows of the bell per you know uh, how many uh, seconds separating the the. Uh, Yes. yes, and also, also you know, talks about all the different lenses, um, right? Uh, the Fresnel lens sizes, and right. You know, uh, Historically, the size of the yeah, lens. Right. Yeah. So the the lightless, I think, for people in they were used for navigation. Is that yeah, what we're yeah? So at? I, yeah. yeah. So the, the what is in the lightless is hugely important. You know, going back to when Gary right. started in eighteen thirty nine. To 2004, not so much, but in 1839, up until you know modern navigational tools, lightless connected lighthouses as a form of navigation. Right. They were used in that way, and every year that there was a change in a lighthouse light or color or right. uh, characteristic, a change was made in the lightless. So give give you an example. What? They can also tell when a light was deactivated or something like yeah, that exactly, too. So yeah. all of a sudden right. So for the people who don't understand, so you say you're you're sailing across the Atlantic Ocean and you come across uh, the coast and you see a blinking light. Well not Every mariner is going to understand what lighthouse that is. Right. You know, you don't have GPS, you don't have radio navigation, right. you don't have anything except for a lighthouse. So they go to their current light list for the Atlantic coast. They can identify by the the light signature which lighthouse it is, and they can navigate to the next lighthouse, and so on and so forth. Right. So yeah. they were. You know, just as the ancient peoples navigated by celestial navigation and the uh, people after that, uh, when we developed longitude and latitude and had the use of a sextant and, you know, lighthouses and light lists go hand in hand. You can't use a lighthouse without a light list. And that's why they're so important. Right. Yeah. You can't well, tell the players without a program. Yeah, obviously, the uh, the light list has the coordinates. <laughs> right. Show, the, I mean, right. So. That's a very important point. It gave the coordinates, the geographical coordinates for each each light. So the light lists and or charts, nautical charts, were used by mariners to so they would recognize the lights that they were looking at and yeah, be able so to plot their own position right. in, in turn. And they, so. they used them during the day, too, because lights had... Uh, day marks that were identified in the light list. I mean, the light list provided so much information to the mariner. They were a vital uh, piece of equipment. So you really couldn't use lighthouses effectively for navigation without the light list. Right. So today, where you can look at those historic light lists, and they're a tool for us to research the history of a lighthouse. We can look back, and many lighthouses say, uh, "We're here at the Gross Point Lighthouse." I don't, I don't know the history of this lighthouse by heart well enough to. Know no, looking back Use over the example uh, uh, Portsmouth Harbor. Right. Okay. Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, a lighthouse I know very well. I know that through most of its history, it had a fixed white light. It didn't flash. Mm-hmm. It was a fixed white light, but it changed to a red light early in the 1900s. It later changed to a fixed green light. So we can look back at the historic light list and see when it changed from a white light to a red light to a green light. So these historic light lists are a tool for us to research the history right. of the light and see when, it, when yeah, its characteristics it's snapshot changed. snapshot in time, really. It just... Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's snapshots in time. And for uh, today, we look back at them. I remember when I started working at the Lighthouse Society, and uh, I was shown the light list, and I couldn't comprehend why these books were important, but I very soon realized why they were. And uh, certainly back in the days where they were being used for navigation, they were important to, to navigate by. But today, they are important historical tools. And to give you an example, if I wanted to research the history of the changes in the Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse from when it was built today, 
I'd have to go look at every year light list for the Atlantic, for New England and uh, see if there was any changes. So, you know, doing that research can take a long time, depending how old the lighthouse is. But what, is Gary, what Gary's has created is a tool that does it for you. So anybody doing research on lighthouse history for any particular lighthouse can extract all the information from all the light lists that we've scanned, that he's scanned, and create a report showing you all those changes in one in about two seconds, which is an amazing accomplishment. For our listeners who might not be familiar with this at all, how do people access this, the light list information that we're talking about? Okay, you, you can go on to uslhs.org <laughs> right. slash light underscore lists.php. And that'll take you to the, uh, the startup page and it'll just show you basically all the light lists that have been researched okay um, by by region by year you know you just looking and there's probably a couple hundred of them at least that have been yeah and if you don't remember the exact website address if you just go to the society website you can it's on the home page it's so important we put it proper right front and center it's on the home page down lower right there's a there's an icon called Lightlist. Just click on that, and you'll go to the Gary's website. Right. There's also another way. If they go to the J. Candace Clifford Research Catalog, for every lighthouse entry in that catalog, for instance, if they go to Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, within the, the research catalog, there's a line for the Lightless data, correct? Right. Right. They can click on that, and it'll take them mm-hmm. to all the entries yeah, for, for that, that lighthouse. For that specific lighthouse, yes. Go, going back historically right. uh, for that for that lighthouse. So. And if anybody can't find it for some reason, they can always call Society Headquarters or email us, and we'll, we'll get them straightened out on how to access the lightless resource. Mm-hmm. I think uh, for anybody who's researching the history of a particular lighthouse or lighthouses, it's very, very useful. Yeah, I think uh, it's a good way to look at light lists. Uh, Tom Tag put it, they were the GPSs of the 1800s. <laughs> right. So let's talk about the other resource, Gary, uh, that you've developed, the, the Lighthouse Enthusiast, Enthusiast Community. community. Yeah. Right. Um, basically, what that feature does is allows anybody who visits lighthouses to log their visits to the lighthouses. Um, they can go see which lighthouses they've, they've been, when they did it. They can see it visually on maps on which ones they've seen, which ones they haven't by region or whatever. They can see other enthusiasts and what they've been up to. They can post uh, photos. They can post photos. What else can you do? Let's see. Well, I think that the, the impetus for the enthusiast community uh, stem from Lighthouse Society members' enthusiasm for visiting lighthouses. And that's an important part of this because I think we feel that the best way to get excited about lighthouses, the best way to learn about them, is to visit them and experience them. And uh, Gary provided this opportunity to memorialize visits and it started taking off because you know we have our lighthouse society passport program people memorialize their visits by getting passport stamps but this gives them another way to uh, document their visit and share that information with other people you can it almost becomes like a competition you know how many lighthouses can i see it is kind of funny there there's definitely some very competitive people out there. i know (laughs) Uh, and actually some people have seen all the lighthouses there's you know it's all based on a couple of, um, there's a site called Lighthouse Friends, and they have created a, basically all the 
lights that you can see in the United States and Canada. And then there's another one from the Lighthouse People, which is more U.S. based. Yeah. But, you know, so you, you can basically figure out every lighthouse that you would ever want to see. Well, I don't know about, I don't think there's anybody who's visited every lighthouse in the world yet. No. Because <laughs> there's like no, over 21,000 in the world. Yeah. We're going to, did I say we're, well, oh, we're sticking. Well, no, you didn't no. say in the world. Okay. You, but but maybe in the U.S. and Canada, yeah, there's right. some people. Yes, there's, um, but you know, I think we're going to stick just to North America. There's here. certainly a number of people who have seen every lighthouse in the U.S. That's, yes. Yeah. But another, so, so the yeah. reason why we that Gary thought this would be a good idea is because the sense of, Community is very important to the Lighthouse Society and the sharing of information. And it goes back to Lighthouse Preservation, where uh, the Lighthouse Society wants lighthouses and lighthouse organizations to share information and to work together. And it's all about creating this giant community of support. You meet people, too. I mean, just, you know, people you would never have known before and, you know, have it share the same interests. And it's, it's really... It's just, there's a social aspect to uh, li- visiting lighthouses as well. And the community draws upon that. Um, you know, I've met the best friends of my entire life uh, going out and visiting lighthouses with them. So it, it's a, an amazing resource. And all the capabilities it has is incredible. I mean, like Gary had mentioned, the, the fact you can log your visits, the fact you can plan your trips, yes. the fact that you can you can set a, a you can set a, a a list of GPS coordinates within the Lighthouse Community System, and it'll plan your trip for you. I mean, and it'll map your trip. It's an incredible resource for people. And it, it also is uh, hooked into the passport program too. Oh, so, okay. Um, how is log- when you say it's hooked into the passport program? How, how well, is that? Well, essentially, you still have to log your your passport stamp. But, I mean, it, it's more of a, just a computerized version. You still want to do your passports and, and you, know, send, you know, give your donation stuff. Right. But if you want to you know, keep a, a log, you know, a computer log, you can, you can put it in the community. Right. So probably a lot of people who are very active in the passport program also use the, yes. the, yes. the enthusiast uh, right. part they kind, of the site. Kind of the passport community, I'm sorry, the enthusiast community and the password club kind of go hand in hand. Sure. Although there are more members currently in the password club, but it's just a matter of time before people uh, understand the capabilities and become part of the community as well. Yeah. Well, I hope people listening uh, will check that out who maybe haven't used the enthusiast community so far. Maybe check it out. So is that linked to in the from the front page of the website as well? I think it's one of the things right across the, right, the, right, the top right. of the, yeah, the front was... page. <laughs> center right. Center Tom right. Tag is uh, <laughs> hovering uh, near us here as well. So thanks, Tom. Center right on the front page of the website. And I know you've been involved in the development of some other historic uh, resources on the website over the years as well, Gary. So you've certainly contributed a lot to the no, thank you. USLHS yeah, it, it's website. Been, it's, it's been fun. I mean, it uh, keeps me busy. And we're all here uh, at the Gross Point Lighthouse for a, a meeting uh, related to the development of the J. Candace Clifford uh, Research Catalog. So you're uh, having a hand in that as well. So. I hope so, yes. But it's great that your lightless uh, data is being integrated into that. That's a, a big plus as well. Absolutely. So thanks so much, Gary, and uh, great to get the word out to the, the public about this as much as possible. So well, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeff. Again, to find the historic light list information on the U.S. Lighthouse Society website, go to the front page at uslhs.org. On the right side of the page, click where it says light list photos and drawings. Then click on View Lightlists. You can also go to the J. Candace Clifford Lighthouse Research Catalog at archives.uslhs.org. 
After navigating to a particular lighthouse in the catalog, look for the words Lightlist Data on the page. You can then click on that and view the listings for that lighthouse on various light lists through the years. Thank you to today's guests, Gary Riemenschneider of the U.S. Lighthouse Society and Bob Stevenson of Thomas Point Shoal Light Station in Maryland. Thank you to all the volunteers, board of directors, staff, and members of the United States Lighthouse Society, its Chesapeake Bay chapter, its Long Island chapter, its Point No Point chapter, the Pacific Northwest Lighthouse Group, the American Lighthouse Council, and all the affiliates of the United States Lighthouse Society. Thanks also to everyone everywhere who works for the preservation of lighthouses and history in general. We're all on the same team and everything you do is important. If you're a lighthouse volunteer or if you work at a lighthouse, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know why you do what you do. What do you love about your lighthouse? We'd also like to hear from you if you have ideas for segments for this podcast. You can email me at jeremy at uslhs.org. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it by making a donation to the United States Lighthouse Society or by becoming a member. Visit uslhs.org and click on Donate or Membership. That does it for this episode of Lighthearted. As always, thanks for listening and keep Keep a a good good light. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine